Good morning, everyone. I always have a, like a moment's hesitation as I unmute myself. Um, if you've been with New Life for a little while, you know that we have some sound issues now and again. Um, it's always a, a good wake-up call, but thankfully, uh, nothing at the moment. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name is Young, a uh, pastor here at New Life, and it's great to be with you. Uh, it's great to have Josh back as well, presiding, um, to hear some more participation happening in the live chat as well. I feel like uh, my questions did not garner that many responses. <laughs> but it's good to have Josh here and to see all of you guys participating, and also just to have a few more familiar faces back as well. As Josh mentioned, uh, we're actually in the second half of our series, A Better Life is Waiting. And so we're about halfway through. Uh, we're building a new culture together here at New Life. And so if you've been with us for the past three weeks, uh, you would have heard about this new culture that we're, build that we're building. Uh, we're joining with God in what he's already begun. And that's what we've been saying uh, in this culture of grace renewal. Culture of grace renewal, and we'll find out a little bit more about what that looks like. Um, before I actually get into the sermon, though, how about I pray for us, and then we'll get straight into the word. Uh, Father, you are good, and your love for us uh, remains steady, remains steadfast. Um, oftentimes, we turn our way, and we turn our gaze towards all sorts of other things that we find to be a little bit more attractive we try to satisfy ourselves with those things that don't satisfy us, uh, constantly looking to the next thing. And we ask, Lord, in this moment, in a moment of clarity, uh, that you would help us, Lord, to turn back to you fully, God. That you would help us, Lord, to be committed to you, uh, knowing, Lord, how committed you are to us. Would you help our hearts, Lord, not to waver? Uh, we know, Lord, the state of our hearts, God, um, that they tend to wander and they tend to seek after other things. If we would be so brave, Lord, would you help us to raise that cry to you, to kill our desire for these other things? No matter how good these things are, would you help us, Lord, to place them in their rightful place and place you in your rightful place? You're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. You're worthy of our lives revolving around you. You're worthy of us making all of life all about you. We pray, Lord, that your son's name would just ring from our mouths, ring from our heads, Lord, uh, that you would remind us, Lord, of what your son has done constantly, God, as you renew grace in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to seek you, to love you, God. And sometimes that can be the hardest thing. As we say that we love so many other things, God, that we don't quite know how to love you. Would you show us how to do this by first showing us your love? Make your love to us real. Make your love to us tangible. Make your love to us through your son's death and resurrection, the thing that we define love around again. So would you be with us this morning, God? Would you guide us by the Holy Spirit once again? Give us wisdom that's beyond our years, beyond our collective years here at New Life, God, and help us, Lord, to be transformed by your grace that we might find our church transformed as well that we might find that our church takes on a new culture of a renewal of grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as you can probably tell from the title of the sermon today, uh, A Prayer for Discipleship, we're gonna be looking to intentionally pray for and to live out a culture of discipleship here at New Life. This is one of our three big focus areas uh, over the next coming years. 
um, discipleship and what does discipleship actually look like? But this is a bit of a Bible term that's become a bit of a church word that means different things to different people. You know, when we talk about discipleship, all sorts of people have all sorts of different ideas about what this looks like. It's a bit, you know, formless and void. Uh, There's no clarity of meaning when we talk about discipleship. And if you say, hey, let's seek discipleship, it could mean something to the person sitting next to you. But what is discipleship but the walking alongside one another to help them grow as a follower of Jesus through the teaching and the disciplining of our hearts towards loving Christ? I think this is probably the most basic definition of discipleship that we can get to. Walking alongside one another, helping us to grow together through the teaching and disciplining of our hearts towards actually loving Christ, loving him. We at church, we know implicitly and the importance attached to this concept of loving God. You know, we talk about it constantly. We talk about the love of God. We talk about how it leads us to loving him. And yet our actions... And indeed, the posture of our hearts often show that we place the things that we do above the actual love of God. We look for rules to follow. We look for the things that we can participate in. We look for all sorts of stuff. And then we talk about burnout, you know, about how much we miss the feeling of the love of God. The love of God hasn't gone anywhere, though hasn't changed. It's our own emotional instability sometimes. It's our own fickleness that takes us in different directions. But this isn't all that different from what we see in our passage in Matthew today. Matthew 22, 37 to 38, reads this. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command bit of context that Jesus is saying this in response to a question from an expert in the law who's trying to test him. He's asking him, which command in the law is greatest? Testing him. And the listeners that are there, the Pharisees that are gathered together, the different disciples that are there, everyone listening is thinking, probably expecting Jesus to respond with one of the 10 commandments. That's kind of implicit in the question, right? Which of the commands are the greatest? And they know that the Ten Commandments seem to be the greatest of all. So which one of those is the greatest of all? The Ten Commandments also have a more solid element of what we do, what we actually participate in, what our actions can be over this kind of nebulous, formless concept of love. But no, Jesus talks about the commandment to love God. And this isn't a new command by any means. It's one that's familiar with any self-respecting Jew at that time, just as glorifying God in the gospel of grace is really familiar to us, because we say it every week. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength has been recited by these Jews daily, every single day. If you're a pious Jewish person, this is what you recite. This is what you remind yourself of. This is what you remind your family and friends of. It's the first thing, and yet it's also not the first thing that they expect to hear when they talk about the greatest command in the law. Perhaps glorifying God in the gospel of grace is not the first thing we think of when we think about what we do at New Life, and this will be along the same lines. Now, when we hear 
that we should love God, we don't disagree. I don't think any of us would disagree with this command to love God. But oftentimes, we'll ask in response, yeah, but how? How do we do this? How do we actually love God? We want to do something. We want something more than just love. What we think is just a feeling. So our desire to do something, it's not entirely wrong. Okay, let me allay those fears. It's not entirely wrong to actually want to do something. This is good news to those of us who are you know, persistently proactive people. Like we love to try to do something. We feel all itchy when we're just sitting in our seats, not really doing anything, not really participating or volunteering, you know, whatever it might be. But the problem comes with our fractured humanity. We're often unable to do things without unintentionally removing love from the equation, from the action itself. We tend to think in a split mind kind of perspective. Unless we intentionally consider the grace of God, unless we actively force ourselves to focus and to meditate on his grace, well, we tend to lose sight of him, even as we do things for him. We see reflections of this in our natural families too. You know, if you guys are from, um, I think mostly, I think most immigrant families have dealt with this before, you know, because immigrant families, why do they immigrate? Because usually the parents have some sort of an ambition to make something of themselves in a new country. Parents who, in an effort to love their children, start spending more and more time away from home whether it be just within their own, their own city or maybe overseas as well. And they're working hard to provide for them. They're doing things for the sake of this family who hardly knows them, losing sight of what they're doing in the process. Now, from the viewpoint of biblical anthropology, though, the things that Jesus talks about here, the heart, the soul, the mind, the strength, they're not completely separate things. I know this is kind of how we read it. You know, when we read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we kind of think of them as, okay, yeah, these are all the different parts that make someone up. No, there is some overlap between these areas as well. They make up the whole person. When you love someone here on earth, you don't just love them with your money, only buying gifts for them. You don't just love them with your mind, only thinking about them. You don't just love them with only your emotions, by only feeling certain things for them. You love them with the entirety of your being. So why should it be any different with God, with our love for God? It must come from the whole person with every aspect of who we are. We must not separate our doing from our being or our feeling. Rather, we must love from our entire humanity. Now thus far, I don't think anyone would disagree with any of that either. But that pesky question will still be in our heads, you know, for some of us. Yeah, but how? How do you actually do that? If discipleship is a teaching and disciplining of the heart towards loving Jesus, how do we get to that place? How do we do it? How do you love? If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? Is what John Owen says in communion with God. 
intentionally consider and meditate on and give thanks for the love of God. Love makes a basis for the great commandment, for the greatest commandment, and it's from this love that we're gonna love other people as well. We love because he first loved us, the Bible tells us. This is the basis for grace renewal as well, this culture that we're building here together. But how do we love? Now, when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, probably every year of my schooling life, um, I fell in love, as many people do. I thought I fell in love. I don't think I was ever truly in love with the people that I had, you know, these growing infatuations for. So my wife doesn't need to worry at home right now because I didn't really know them. You know, I, I was quite a shy person. I was at a distance from them, loving the idea of who they were this ideal woman, I guess, in, in school, but never actually getting to know them beyond what I saw. I was too afraid. And I was perhaps just as much in love with the idea of being in love than with the person himself. You love God first by knowing him well, Otherwise, you just love your own idea of him. God has given us a way for us to actually know him through the Bible and prayer. Like Our Bibles, they're not just there for us to reference every now and then. It's for us to really know God. Our lack of desire to know the Bible and to know him in prayer speaks of our lack of desire for God. They're not unrelated. And speaks more of our desire to worship our own construct of what we think God should be like, just as I did it in high school and middle school and elementary school and you know, so on and so forth. But the better that we know God in his word, the deeper our understanding of his love for us, not just what we think his love looks like, but what his love actually is. You love God also by telling others about him, if you've ever been in love with anyone or anything, you can't be quiet about it. You can't stop talking about this new show that you love. You can't talk, stop talking about this new burger place that you went to that you love. You can't stop talking about the person that you're in love with. Keeping things a secret, keeping things hidden, it doesn't make you a hipster, it makes you ashamed. It makes you embarrassed, it's not love. When you love someone, you talk about them. You can't help yourself, you want the whole world to know that you're in love. Evangelism becomes easier the deeper our love is for God. And finally, you love God by returning to this love again and again. We're fleshly creatures whose eyes are never satisfied, Proverbs tells us. We go from one thing to another. We seek after other things, even if they're not good. These are the songs that we sing as well. We talk about our sin, we confess it. The saying the grass is greener on the other side exists for a reason, because we're always looking at the neighbor's grass. If you don't wanna keep looking elsewhere though, what do you do? You water the garden where you're at and you deepen your love for God. And then you'll be enamored with your own garden. Loving God then isn't just about having a general positive attitude towards him or nice thoughts about him. 
It's an intentional firing of our hearts. There's a lot of intentionality involved with a knowledge of who he is and who we are in Christ as a response. You must meditate on these things in order to love him. And from there, we live consistently within this knowledge of who God is and what he's done. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. You've never been left alone. He won't abandon you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, he would even give his only son that you might be saved and born again of imperishable nature through his living and enduring word. This is the kind of God that we have. This is who Christ is. And this is what you must know and remind yourself of daily. Remind your, your friends, your family of constantly. This is who Jesus is and this is what he's done. Why others? Why do we include others in this journey? Because it's dangerous to go alone. You surely experience this. In your lives, your, your time, your years of seeking Christ, I'm sure you've experienced this. But if not that time, then maybe at least in the past few pandemic years, in the past few years, particularly when lockdown was at its roughest and you weren't able to actually meet with the people of God, separation from the body of Christ makes it harder to stay in love with God. When you're alone, it's a lot easier to go astray. When you're by yourself in your room, it's a lot easier to obsess over other things rather than God. It's easier when you're in a conference setting, for example, WinterCon, which we haven't been to in a long time, right? It's a lot easier to stay in love with God when you're amongst other passionate people. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. We need others with us in this journey that we're doing together. The work that we do in encouraging one another, in building each other up, that work in doing this, we bless others. But what have we seen recently about blessing others? It comes from a place of us being blessed first. We can expect that we'll also be blessed by God. Seek to bless others, seek to walk with others in this discipleship, and you will also receive from God. Not only do we encourage and build each other up, but in turn, we're encouraged and built up, and that's the nature of discipleship. When you disciple someone, when you walk alongside someone, and you focus on God together, it's together. You're focusing on God together. As we help them to fire their hearts for God, we find ourselves fired up as well because we're looking with love at Jesus together, two sinners, three sinners, whatever it might be, fellow sinners in the arms of our loving God. We're never above one another. We're always walking alongside one another, looking to this great God together and falling deeper and deeper in love with him. And so we return to love once again. Now this requires intentionality. It's sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. It's sometimes a little bit awkward particularly when you're socially distant from one another, to begin to meet with others and to talk about Jesus together, especially for the first time. But as we intentionally decide to do it together, it becomes second nature. And what other place but church can you actually do this? Can you say, hey, do you wanna just 
talk about the shared interests that we have together. And it feels awkward to voice that out. But once we cross that threshold, you know, there's no turning back, right? And you begin to wonder, once that's done, how could I have ever had any conversations without the renewal of grace underlying them? Everything that you talk about, from your interests, from your friendships, your family, your goals, all of these will have a tinge of grace renewal to it. Now, it also requires intentionality for us to humble ourselves and ask for others to disciple us. This is probably maybe the harder part. As we get older, we don't like to seek help from other people. We like to be a little bit independent. We like to do things on our own because we think asking for help makes us look weak. If you've ever started a new job before, maybe you kind of like to bluff a little bit and say, oh yeah, I, I do know how to do that when you're asked by your manager or your manager's manager if you know what to do. When we're growing up as children even, we like to show our independence, not even wanting our parents to help us with tying our shoes, even if all we know is Velcro. And so we'd often have these big, ugly half ribbons and knots and you know, it'd be cutting off our circulation, but we're like, no, don't help me. I know what I'm doing. Maybe some parents are going through that currently. But asking for help doesn't make us weak. It doesn't make us weak. It shows who we love and trust. It doesn't make us weak. As children ask for help from those that they love and trust, so too we also ask for help from those that we love and trust in the body of Christ. And ultimately, this expresses our absolute love and trust in the Lord who has sovereignly placed these people in our lives. When I say that I love and trust the leadership of our church, of our mother church, Hesun, you know, when we talk about our elders, when we talk about other pastors that we have, when we talk about deacons, whoever, it's not because I know them so well, it's because I know our God. And just as that is, it's for us here at New Life as well. It's not unusual for me, it's not awkward at all for me to exhort you to be infants crying out for milk, as scripture tells us. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Stir up in your hearts a desire to know him more and more and do it in community with one another. Now this isn't the easiest thing by any means. It's foundational to our being as Christians, but it's not necessarily easy. It's not easy to be disciplined, for example. It's not easy to be intentional in the way that we live, for example. It's not easy to go together. It feels so much easier to just do it by yourself than to look out for this person who might be struggling with things. You feel like you don't have time for their struggles. You got your own struggles. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it now to grow in the knowledge of God because it causes us to love him more and more. It's worth it now to seriously start considering what we do and why we do it because it makes us into more stable and considerate people. It's worth it now to invite people into our lives and to seek discipleship because it's the way that we take part in the growth of the church together. 
and it's the best way for us to grow as well. It's worth it, and it will be worth it in the future as well, when discipleship becomes a part of the culture of new life, and your children and your children's children get to participate in a community based on grace renewal. J.I. Packer, in his uh, book, Knowing God, he says, in this world, royal children have to undergo extra training and discipline, which other children escape, in order to fit them for their high destiny. It is the same with the children of the king of kings. The clue to understanding all his dealings with them is to remember that throughout their lives, he's training them for what awaits them and chiseling them into the image of Christ. Can we recall this together and can we remind each other of this as well as we go on this discipleship journey? Let me pray for us. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lived and died as a servant and the Son of God. All who follow him are called to serve God in this world. Setting forth Christ's kingdom through the power of the Spirit and to live as sons and daughters in the family of God, telling everyone of their love for their Father. We're reminded of this, Lord, and we need reminders of this, Lord. So, Father, would you strengthen us Turn all of us, all of our humanity, our hearts, souls, minds, strengths, all back to you. That every part of us would bring out and remember your love. Almighty God, giver of all that is good, we know that by your Holy Spirit you've appointed all sorts of things within your church, all the orders of ministry here. We ask, Lord, that you'll bless new life now. We know, Lord, that new life is called to disciple your people. So, Father, would you fill us with your truth and clothe us with holiness that we may faithfully serve to the glory of your name and the benefit of your church. We want to glorify you in the gospel of grace. We want to do this with love for who you are by receiving your love first, and we want to love one another as we seek to disciple and be discipled, as we seek to do this in a culture of grace renewal. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you forever, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.